0: Welcome to Too Many Colts, a crossover series with the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast and the Holy Ghosting podcast. I'm Crispin Mayfield.
1: And I'm Lindsay Stranigan.
0: And we're going to be talking about the docu-series Shiny Happy People, Duggar Family Secrets.
1: And we are digging into episode three, which is titled Under Authority, which is honestly, I feel like could be the title of the entire (laughs) (laughs) series. Everything is about authority. And we will give some uh, content warnings. So uh, at the beginning of the episode, we will mention in brief... uh, Josh Duggar and his um, sexual assault and child pornography allegations. But we will primarily get into that later in the episode. And so we'll start with talking about kind of free labor and exploitation of youth, children, women, all of that. Uh, Start with the light stuff. And then (laughs) uh, later we will get into specifically Bill Gothard and his entire organization and basically all of the
0: abuse allegations there
1: yep all of the mistreatment of women and the assault that happened at his organization so just know that will be later and we will put some time stamps in the show notes as well so and we'll warn before we start those sections
0: yeah Yeah. So it does start with a little bit of just like some, I think some, a little bit of Jill talking about how she sort of had to cover for Josh, but then it goes pretty quickly into this theme of like free labor. Right. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember exactly where it starts. So you're you're the note. Let
1: Let me look at my notes here. So yeah, they're talking about, cause a lot of this is Jill. It starts with Jill talking about like her obligation to the family and, um, And then this show that they made, Jill and Jessa counting on, basically, which was further explained to the girls. And they really do get into sort of contracts and payments. They get into that a little bit later. But basically, it's all they all understood this to be right and normal because the father is the head of the household, the umbrella of authority, if you will. And so he gets to make the financial decisions for the whole family. So none of them even thought to question it. You are just taught to serve.
0: Right. Which meant that like... So Jill got married, her and her husband Derek signed something right before their wedding day, basically where they they agreed to be filmed for the following five years right, Mm -hmm. Um, for TLC and did not see a dime for that time. right. right? It was all paid to her dad, Jim Bob.
1: And they didn't even really think to question that at that Mm -hmm. time, which is so interesting to me. And she said that once Jill got pregnant, which in the show, like she got pregnant within the a month after getting married, which is wild. I cannot imagine like never being kissed and then just being like, bam.
0: Oh my gosh. Now you're, I mean, that's what they always told us, right? right. (laughs) One minute you're kissing, the next minute you have a baby in you.
1: It is a slippery slope. (laughs) It literally happened. (laughs) And so at that point, Jill becomes a little bit, I, I don't, you know, maybe the mama instinct woke up in her and she was like, no, I don't want anybody in the delivery room. And TLC was like, say what? They were not uh, super thrilled on that. So they ended up, I think the agreement that they came to was having them film themselves. It's interesting because... TLC's ratings were, the Duggars were their highest rated show by far, but the marriages and the births were the money maker. So it is on the backs of women that they are making this money. And, you know, to find out that these women are not being there, like they make the point, it's like literal labor like literal free labor like she's Uh laboring like trying to deliver a baby and the show's like "Mm, we need the world to see this and backing up a little bit too they mentioned something about like it was like their wedding the day before their wedding there was a contract on the table Mm -hmm. and someone just mentioned like quickly you need to sign this contract and they didn't know what it was and just signed it and so they did not really realize no one explained to them Mm -hmm. and of course sure they signed it i suppose that's on them but like when you try again when you're under the authority you you trust those people to have mm-hmm. your best interest and quickly realize it was not their interest. It was
0: right. Yeah. And I mean, one thing that stood out to me was um, one of the one of the experts was talking, comparing it to the Kardashians who also um, similarly, like, you know, th- they were being filmed. It was their labor, but they got paid for it. Whereas Jill Duggar at some point was like going to food banks because her dad had not given her any money. She was living on her own with Derek and their kids. And that also came up with the medical bills. She was like, we have this huge out-of-pocket debt, right? And reach out to TLC to be like, hey, can you cover this? And they're like, we gave all the money to your dad. You just need to take it up with him
1: yeah the fact that they like they're hot like their hospital bills weren't even paid for by the show or her family like again this so, this is not that if you look at the conservative Republican view on wanting everyone to have babies and not actually paying for them like this is really in line with that mm-hmm. like this is the whole like oh my qu- gosh
0: so true The
1: quote unquote we're pro-life but like we're not actually gonna do anything to help you with this.
0: oh my like, gosh
1: yeah. So. so
0: true. Yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, what was it? Uh, they said that uh, Jim Bob Duggar got paid uh, 850000 nearly a million dollars for each season, Oof. I believe. So that's the sort of money he had, but he was not giving it. And even when Derek, I think, went to him and said, hey, we need some money. Can you pay us? He's like, I'll pay you $10 an hour. Right, like, wasn't that so
1: insulting? (laughs) Right? Yeah.
0: He's like, "How how much do you how much, you know, I'll pay you $10 an hour for the filming, you know, for being filmed. And Derek was like, No, how much did they pay you? And he wouldn't say what he was paid. He was just like, I'll pay you $10 an hour just kept on coming back to that.
1: Yeah, I just I just can't with that. Like, It's gross. So that leads us into, basically, we then start getting into, this is a pattern. This is not just the Duggars. This is, we love free labor of children. And so they're showing kind of some of it with the Duggars and, like, putting their kids to work. And the Duggars are all into, like, they have this do-it-yourself renovation thing. And Mm -hmm. their children are hammering stuff. But, again, this is not just the Duggars. So they quickly launch into um, IBLP, all of their crazy programs, um, and talking about how kids were working like 15, 16 hours a day at these Mm -hmm. IBLP camps and there. And, and I know that, you know, I've talked to plenty of other people in evangelicalism, you know, like when you're putting on this, some huge VBS at a mega church, the hours that people are putting in and that's adults and children and that it's not just kids, but like, we joke all the time on Holy Ghosting the whole thing was like you were expected to like all the evangelical churches that I grew up going to it was like the getting there to set up was like stacking chairs and unsteady. there's so much chair (laughs) movement and it's like you were viewed as like better a better Christian or closer to the Lord if you were willing to get there early and you know set out those chairs which is just like can we just pay someone to do this Mm. like do do we have to guilt everybody into and you make it all about service right it's all about everything is turned into you know they get into this too like even things you might not believe in like television for the Duggars can become the messaging is like this is your work
0: for the Lord and so it's Uh, important uh,
1: and I'm like stacking chairs is not important
0: yeah I mean I this I, I think a really clear example of this is um there were these series of uh you know fairly successful Christian movies like facing the giants war room right um Maybe you have no idea who these, what these movies are. What was the one that? Oh, Fireproof.
1: Oh yeah, right. I so, mean, I avoid all these like the plague. But I right. know what you're. T- I know that you and DL get into more like Christian media on your podcast. Right. So You watch yeah. some of that bullshit. Exactly. I did not.
0: <laughs> it was so bad. Um, but what's interesting is uh, that was the Kendrick Brothers was is the name of these two brothers that like created this production company that wrote and produced those movies. Uh, Facing the Giants was their second movie. It brought in ten million dollars. Their budget was one hundred thousand dollars, which is wild. But here's why: they didn't have to pay extras. They got their church. Everybody just volunteered yep. their time. Yeah, right. So you can make a movie. That uh, with a budget of a hundred thousand dollars and then get ten million back.
1: And do any of those people get any thank yous, any compensation? It doesn't matter.
0: It is about the ministry. It's about the word. It's, it's about, about
1: their jewels. It's about getting the
0: message out there. They
1: will receive their reward later.
0: Right. The other thing that I thought of here, I mean, just the one thing that they talked about with IBLP is um, some of these were like teen programs, but some of them were like in lieu of college, right? Mm -hmm. You can go and serve in this place. And I thought so much of YWAM. um, And I think that uh, that's youth with a mission. It is, um, it's it's common in a lot of evangelical circles. It's basically a mission organization specifically for people that are coming out of high school that want like a short period. But what's uh, wild about it is you can go into it and you're like, all right, like, you know, I'm graduated high school i'm gonna join ywam and maybe you do you know one of their discipleship training schools which sounds so much like iblp
1: a dts uh, ywam is also about the initials maybe not as much as gothard because woo, he threw out some right. acronyms
0: yes but i think like what's wild about it is like sure like go do that for like a summer uh or for a few months but like people get sucked into it right and they stay there and so you do things where it's like, uh, like, oh, I did like a counseling school in YWAM. Like I spent like half a year studying counseling and listening to all these lectures and doing all this homework. But where does that credential matter outside of YWAM is nowhere.
1: Yeah, it doesn't.
0: Right, exactly. So it's, I, I, that was what came up for me was thinking about like people that get into these like evangelical institutions and you put in lots of work. And it's like monopoly money or something like that. Like, you can't actually take it with you. The only place Mm -hmm. that it matters is within the institution. So it just naturally keeps people within the institution because it's like, where else do I go? Like, the only qualifications or experience I have matter in this specific institution.
1: Yeah, and there was a... Someone said very early on in the episode that fundamentalism exploits people who have no other options. And Mm -hmm. in this way, it's also just not giving people other options, right? Like your skills are only good for this this tiny bubble universe. And exactly. yeah, it's very scary. It's why people don't leave. And mm-hmm. you know, we'll get into that more later, especially with the women trying to leave abusive relationships. There's a lot of reasons for that, but they really did create this Perf- perfect quote but big air quotes perfect system but for people to just stay forever and the YWAM is similar I'm sure that you know listeners there are many other organizations that uh, are, operate similarly but basically just kind of keep feeding into like oh here's another program camp thing that mm-hmm. you can participate in and feel useful and like you belong and make sure that you don't leave and go and I mean other cults like I had a good friend who was a Scientologist they also don't you know, want you to be educated. They don't want you to go to college. Like the thing about a cult is they don't want you learning from anybody else. They only want you learning from them, which is why this is so culty. And the way that we were raised is pretty damn culty as well. Mm-hmm. They, I was not. I, I, yeah, I couldn't learn from any outside sources outside of evangelicalism. Right. Those are the only voices I was allowed to hear. And turns out, you can still grow up to be a raging liberal, even if you were <laughs> raised that way. So, sor- sorry. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for some of these Duggar kids. Like, one, I cannot wait for the first Duggar kid that comes out as queer. I mean, that will be very hard for that kid. But I also am like, it has to happen. Like, mm-hmm. there's no question St- in my mind. Statistically, statistically right. some of those kids are queer. Whether or not they're ever able to realize that is another thing. But... um. In the section where they're talking about uh, all these kids and the hours that they would put in working for Gothard, um, they did get into there was uh, a, a sub organization called Alert, which was Gothard's like paramilitary organization, which was basically a militia of homeschooled boys. Which was terrifying. I yeah. didn't know that this was a thing.
0: No, me neither. And it was, yeah, literally like uniforms, drills, like the whole nine yards. It
1: just seemed like a lot of toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Just like so angry. It was, yeah, intense.
0: Right. I mean, it it fits. Like this is like, this whole thing is fascism. I think about like Joshua Deese. I think in the first episode, who's mentioned throughout this, I love seeing him because we interviewed him for our podcast, um, talking about "This Present Darkness" by Frank Peretti a couple of years ago. Um, but he he says this phrase basically where like he's paraphrasing Gothard saying like, "Hey, like authority isn't that bad. Like, just give it a chance." And like that is the whole, mm-hmm. that is like that is fascism. It is like as long as someone is in charge and we just suppress all dissent. Like, that is the best way, and things will go really well if we do that, which was, like, Gothard's message. And we know that obviously goes really well.
1: Yeah, suppression doesn't—spoiler—doesn't go well, ever.
0: (laughs) No.
1: (laughs) Let's look to the Catholic Church for that, shall we? Like, I I feel like maybe some of us could have learned somewhere along the way, but religious organizations and people in power keep doing this Mm -hmm. same shit over— and over again, um, before we move into the next section was kind of like the business of IBLP and kind of the money and sort of bill and his shadiness and how that was. I wanted to make one note so that a couple of the women who are ex-IBLP were talking about some of these work programs and being youth and giving free labor. And they were talking about two things that stuck out to me was uh, there was like this prayer room that they would lock you in if they thought that you were um. Disobedient, or you know, not doing enough. And like one gal gave the example of she was wearing a tiny, tiny heel on her shoe, like the tiny, and and it wasn't actually um, against the rules, but her direct report, supervisor, whatever, didn't like it. And so I think she said that she got put in the prayer room for four days straight, right? Which yeah. is like a hotel, an empty hotel room with a Bible. I assume they have to feed you at some point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it sounds pretty messed up. And again, I mean, it's just going back to. Everything that this organization did was really extreme and, you know, more extreme than what I was put through as a kid, for sure. And, you know, it was this shame was a really powerful tool that was keeping everybody in line. It seems like especially the girls were more shamed and then the boys were like doing this military recruitment. I mean, they were Mm -hmm. all... Absolutely suppressed and none of them were able to think for themselves, but it felt really different how the girls are like punished for wearing a kitten and have to go and the boys get to like train with guns and march and stuff.
0: And I don't know the exact details, but the way it came across was, like, these were, like, teenagers at the camps or, like, people that had just graduated high school that were sort of under the leadership or authority of people that were also, like, maybe in their early 20s, mm-hmm. right? Like, which I don't think age always makes a huge difference, but, like, it it made me think of the pri- the Stanford Prison Experiment, which is basically, like, where they... Tried to, they, you know, at Stanford, the psychology department set up this experiment to see um, when people are given roles, uh, guards and prisoners, how do the guards end up treating the prisoners? They had to stop it because it was so, became so vile. Like you create a, a system. They were going to do it for two weeks. They did it for six days. Everybody looking back on it is like they should have stopped it as soon as it began because it created this environment of abuse of power so quickly, just like that. These were like college students that knew each other on campus and Mm -hmm. it just evolved. And so I was thinking about that. This is creating that same environment, but nobody is interrupting it, you know? Right.
1: Well, there's absolutely no checks and balances. Right. And, I mean, if you if you listen to Holy Ghost, you know, I told my own deeply embarrassing story of taking part in a, like, persecution reenactment when I was in college and <laughs> I got like cast as a jailer and I got to like you know ha- be put in a position of power over people being fake tor- tormented and I'm so embarrassed because I like lived in because into this- you enjoyed was- it you yes, got-, got in touch with
0: your dumb side
1: fun and I was like oh, yeah, like the stand for all of those things that you hear. I'm like, I can see how quickly you're just like you're given some power. And you're like, yeah, I will. Like they gave me cans of wet cat food to put in front of like these prisoners to like put their faces like I couldn't make them eat it, but I could just pretend like I I don't know. It was very messed up. So to anyone who went to that persecution reenactment at Biola in 99 or 2000, I'm sorry. Uh (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, something's
0: in the water in Southern California universities. Yeah,
1: apparently. My gosh. Um, So, yeah, all of these people are just being horrible to each other. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They are given some power and really bad information. And I'm going to say that these umbrellas of authority seem to uh, be making people a little drunk on their own authority and no mm-hmm. one is respecting one another and right. it's all.
0: Yeah, one of the places that stood out to me, there, I didn't quite understand where this, they kind of like took a little side street uh, to talk about courting um, in this part as well and talking about how, well, for one, like Jill and Derek, like Jill was gonna, I guess, go on dates. I don't know how that works in a courtship setting, but was gonna go on dates with these two other boys and her dad was like, you need to go on a date with Derek, which like she was she's happy because she's married to him. And she's, you know, yeah. but looking back on it, it's like, yeah, he was totally controlling that. And Kristen um, Cubaz de May has this um, just really poignant piece that she says really this was about a father controlling his daughter's sexuality and controlling his children's future and that just really stood out to me as just like so clear and plain like think about who you marry and the impact that has on the rest of your life and so this idea of courtship of you know we we talked before about evangelical um evangelical arranged marriage right like going back to this umbrella system of like you don't get to make choices for yourself and it has an impact on the rest of your life i just thought was really worth noting
1: well and it's just it's so patriarchal and it's this the way of courtship it's it's about purity supposedly but really it's about control and it's about a father controlling his daughter's sexuality and her yeah choices that will affect her for the rest of her life which is bonkers and like good for jill that it's working out for her but i can imagine I, we and we hear stories later of many women with that it didn't so oh my
0: gosh yes well, right was,
1: and also the fact that like she was gonna go on these dates to other guys but like her dad beat her too and so she just like went with the first guy i'm like do they all just go for the first guy that they go on a date with because they <laughs> did or maybe i don't know i uh-huh. I'm sure they have no idea. They're they're not taught what to look for in a partner. No. They're not taught to have any say in it. This
0: gets into a whole other thing, which uh, DL and I talk about when we talked about uh, I kiss dating goodbye and some other Christian dating books. But if the whole idea is like you are dating for marriage, then it's sort of like like puts the cart before the horse where you have to go into it being like, I am going to marry this person if I'm going to date them, which then takes away the question of like, do I want to marry this person?
1: Right. You're just assuming that you're going to. Right. From exactly. the get go. Yeah. It's it's a disaster. Um, and then that leads us into so the episode next kind of starts getting into the the overarching business of the IBLP and really getting into Gothard and how, you know, he came across as really authentic and down to earth to a lot of people. He drove this old car. Um, but apparently in the, you know, the background, he's, his family's making all this money. He's making tons of money, but he's not being super showy with it. But um, it was interesting. I didn't know this. It was said that like IBLP's biggest donor is a CEO of Hobby Lobby. Mm-hmm. So that's a nice little conservative shit stew right there.
0: And he like <laughs> Had all these connections with like Mike Huckabee, mm-hmm. like just a lot, and like a lot of these uh, centers that they talked about were gifts from governments, like from Republican, yeah, like leaders. Well, like- yeah,
1: he traveled. He certainly had a way with people, and and getting people on his side, and weaving his way into. Um, school curriculums. It talked about like the IBLP teaching started spreading into prisons, into the military, and police into police. Forces. And I was like, my notes here. I just wrote, I was like, yeah, they love that authority shit. I was like, right, the, the, exactly. Yeah, like, it's
0: fascism. So like, of course, <laughs> it duh. fits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was
1: like, these things. This is a marriage meant to be uh, in fundamentalism.
0: What it, what really stood out to me about the school part was um, they were like, it doesn't talk about God. The biblical principle that we are pushing in schools, they didn't say it exactly this way, but they were like, is the importance of obedience to authority, right? Which is just creepy. That is Dobson. Like, I, I've mentioned that I've been reading Dobson. Dobson, in his book, Dare to Discipline, says, like, you know, the your goal as a parent is to produce an adult who will uh, respond to the authority of teachers, police, government, like... Um, and so, so it's just wild to like, they were sort of saying like, well, that's, you know, that doesn't have to do with the Bible. We just want kids to like immediately obey anyone, any authority figure who asks them to do something. And critics were like, we don't want this like for our kids. Like, no, we don't, don't think that while like immediate obedience isn't like a societally held value, you're pushing for this thing.
1: Right. It's, it's not healthy <laughs> for no. anyone. And, but that was the way that IBLP functioned the oldest male present was in charge period so with that uh, talking about the male authority piece this is now kind of when we are going to get into some of the things that happened under bill gothard's watch at iblp specifically um accusations of sexual harassment and sexual abuse and just general male toxicity grossness um all those kinds of things so if you don't want to hear that please skip ahead as we're gonna dive right into it um they kind of start off talking about Bill's brother, Steve, who was part of the organization. And um, he had many accusations of harassing and abusing women. And so what Bill did is send his brother to a campus that had left oversight, like sent him to some woods camp. Right. They had yeah. So like many. in like
0: upper Michigan or yeah. something.
1: Yeah. And then according to some of the XLB IBLP people who were interviewed, they said that then girls who disobeyed Bill got sent to Steve's camp. Yeah,
0: it is so fucked up. Like, that is, like, I don't know, one of the worst parts of this, like, whole history, I think.
1: Yeah, super gross. And they didn't speak to any women, I think, who had gone to Steve's camp. I'd be curious. I mean, I understand why those women don't. So I I was curious. um,
0: Yeah, I mean, basically what what it was was, I mean, it it really... um, parallels the catholic church where you have a priest that's abused uh that's accused of abusing sexually abusing people and then they're moved somewhere else instead of being held accountable and like sometimes being moved somewhere where they have more access to victims which was what happened with steve
1: yeah it's it's really disgusting and they get into kind of the main justification for a lot of this is um they got really into matthew 18 which Mm -hmm. makes sense now but it's not a thing again i've ever thought about or maybe had quoted at me in that way um basically um It's making it impermissible to gossip as the interpretation of Matthew 18. Uh, And you can't accuse your leaders. It's all about if you have something negative to say, you have to go to that person privately. And so it, it makes abuse impossible to report. Like if you're taking this, if you're being a whistleblower, if you're taking this to the powers that be, then you are you know, outside of right relationship, you're not doing what God would do and you're sinning or what have you. And so you just can't report abuse. You, you have to go talk to your abuser. Like uh-huh. that's the only way forward is mm-hmm. the way I think that they interpret it. Is that yeah. how you took that?
0: Yeah, totally. And this is, uh, this actually is, I think so very common in evangelical spaces. Maybe I'm just speaking from my own experience. Um, I'd mentioned in a previous episode that I was sexually abused. I went and like talked to my dad and my uncle about it, uh, like years later, to say like, "Hey, like I, I think we need to. I want this person held accountable. What are we gonna do? Like, we, you know, do we need to report it, et cetera?" I was, I was just a college kid, like I was trying to figure it out, um, but what they told me was they were like, well, you need to go to him first and give him a chance to repent to, you know, if you're a good Christian, that's what you do, which is just like, I just think is really worth mentioning because I know that my experience is not unique in like Christianity when no. it comes to abuse yeah. at all.
1: Not at all. And it's so, it's backwards. It's damaging. It's it is just not what anyone should do. I I frankly don't think it's what God would want you to do. Right. Yeah.
0: And it doesn't like take power dynamics into account at all, especially with this, like thinking about like this, is like you are expected to go to the person that had, first of all, like it's not trauma informed at all. Not that I would expect that, but it's like, yeah, the right response is like, oh, this person Abused you, you should never have to have contact with them again. We are going to take care of this, would be the appropriate response uh, from like a leader or an elder. Um, But then also to say, like, you are like um, somehow like you're going to talk it out with this person that holds power over you. I mean, it like it reminds me of like in my master's program, my master's of counseling program, um, there was a professor that I had some. Big issues with um, basically because of like homophobia, misogyny, and racism in his courses. Um, And I went to the director of the program and I was like, hey, like you need to like deal with this. And she was like, well, why don't you just have lunch with him and like talk it over? And I was like, no, like this is somebody that like I still have to take three classes from. They are going to grade me. They Mm -hmm. decide whether or not, you know, like...
1: They're in a position of power over you. Exactly.
0: And, like, it's just so fucked up. So, like, I think there are, like, whether it's sexual abuse or otherwise, like, there's so many examples of this, of, like, Christians not reckoning with, at least with evangelicals not reckoning with power differentials at all.
1: Yeah. No, they don't. They kind of love the power, right? I mean,
0: that's the other thing is like with this, it's like, is it like that they didn't know, or is it just like, no, this is the best way to like suppress? Like, yeah, because there's a, a clip of um, uh, I think Jill and Ginger talking it something about like it's important to never criticize your leaders. Like, it, again, it feels like th- that is fascism, right? Like, suppress all dissent and protest, um, because that's what's best. For everyone, in theory.
1: I remember being taught when I was young, too, that it was, like, not biblical uh, for Christians to sue other people. Uh, That was another thing that was, like, a big deal because I had a, like, really... Bonkers injury when my dad was a pastor, and like it was gross negligence upon like the gymnastics <laughs> gym that I was at, but we couldn't like take legal action. So similar thing, it's like same mm-hmm. thing. You just can't speak up for yourself, and it's like I know that my parents were broke and that those medical bills were a big deal for us, but it was not Christian of us to. Yeah. Know. Then they start getting into these 10-day camps with Bill Gothard himself. And they were called—I don't know why this is so funny to me—Journey to the Heart. is like the cheesiest <laughs> shit I've ever heard. Um, but evangelicals eat that up. Everything's mm-hmm. some about the heart, some journey. But these are camps with Bill Gothard himself. Everyone gets—and the, these are young people. And I— I don't know if it was clear if it was just women. I think it was men and women. It was only women that they interviewed as to what their experiences were with Bill Gothard. And so everyone got some one-on-one time with him. And I put in big, like, parentheses, like, all caps in my notes, (laughs) grooming interviews. Like, Mm -hmm. they didn't call them that, but that is what they were. Mm -hmm. Bill was sussing out these women and who kind of maybe was more fiery and who had... And he would ask questions of them like... Asked them if they were a virgin and things like that, which is so wildly inappropriate for leader, pastor, really anyone to ask you ever. It's none of their business. But again, when virginity is put on such a high pedestal Mm -hmm. in this like they're used to that everyone is talking about especially girl sexuality constantly Um, did you have like is there anything in that part that like stood out to you kind of when they're getting into these
0: yeah I mean I I think one of the the things that really stood out to me from that is um, one of the women said he didn't need to test our boundaries because they'd already been broken down which I just thought was like so so poignant and true like from the start right like this whole system is set up to uh, to abuse those that don't hold any power.
1: Yes, 100%. It just it feels like these poor girls, they didn't know any better. They didn't... This is all that they knew, and they had had their own opinions be, literally and figuratively beaten out of them. And anytime you didn't submit in the smallest thing, like having a heel on your shoe, you got thrown in a room for four days with a Bible. So... Of course, when the and the Bill Gother is put on such a pedestal, the guy the man can do no wrong. Like they get into the fact that like no one ever questioned the fact that he didn't marry or have children. Like, how can you follow a guy that it's so so Donald Trump, right? Like this guy who's supposed to be the champion for like blue collar America, who's the like least blue like he's the most privileged like handed the world on a silver platter yet everyone thinks he's like the champion for the everyman it's it feels the same like the disconnect there of like why is this guy the guy that you're putting on the pedestal because he isn't actually doing any of the things that you espouse to believe in he's not even living out these values
0: i remember like after bill hybels who really was the like founder of the megachurch movement He had all these allegations. And I remember talking to someone about Bill Hybels um, after, I think it was the New York Times, um, said that there were uh, a number of women that had talked about uh, sexual, that had brought forward sexual abuse allegations. And I was talking to them and they're like, yeah, but like, I just remember the way that like God really spoke to me through Bill Hybels. And I was like, well, you should read the article. And they're like, oh, I already did. Like, there is that disconnect.
1: I also feel like these are the same people that like their first like thing that they say about like MLK is like oh well he was an adulterer. You know these are the mm-hmm. same people that pick and choose like what people they're going to like right. they care about that with MLK but Donald Trump it doesn't matter like mm-hmm. how many times that man's been you know, an adulterer and divorce but yeah. clearly we could talk all day about like the even the cognitive dissonance that exists within mm. evangelicals it doesn't make any sense and it's so damn harmful and we just see these patterns repeat over and over again and so kind of back to all this creepy Bill stuff. And uh, one thing that I took note of was uh, that, again, I had never heard of is the law of crying out. Did that stand out to you? Because that is.
0: Yes, definitely. Basically, like if a woman is being sexually assaulted, but she doesn't cry out, which includes to God.
1: Right. It sounds like specifically they mean they think she needs to cry out to God. Like, does it have to be out loud? Can it be in your head? Right. I mean, like, what are the rules here?
0: Yeah. Which uh, you know, we know that it is so common in those situations for people to have a freeze response. They're so taken aback, they don't know what to do and they just freeze. And um, And yet the idea is like, if you didn't run away, then you are equally to blame. Yeah, Um, I
1: I wrote down. It was like in an IBLP like packet. It said God has God has established some very strict guidelines for a woman who is attacked. She's to cry out for help. The victim who fails to do this is equally guilty with the attacker.
0: Yeah, it's it's just so fucked up.
1: It just is like it's so much victim blaming and it also I'm like also how could you prove if you did or are there other people like it's just so bonkers how Mm -hmm. is it your yeah I don't and and one of the women goes on to say something like you literally can't exist in the system without making a man want to attack you like anything if I have to bend over to pick up a piece of clothing like because that it's so like anything a woman does is so sexualized that like you can't Uh, I just imagine the fear of anything like we've talked a lot about on our podcast, like Meg, when she was younger, when her and Andy were like dating or whatever, there was like this legend of them. He like. Accidentally saw like some of her like side boob like, oh, like something uh-huh. like, she and there was like so much guilt that she had around like again it's just like I'm sorry we have boobs it happens mm-hmm. you know but the like shame she carried the shame for years you know thought that that she had damaged their relationship in this way because of like the side boob incident it's
0: right I mean yeah Michelle there's a clip of Michelle Duggar talking about being a cheerleader and. Implicating herself as, as a teenage girl, right? That I was defrauding the people, or, really, the men around me. I really me.
1: wanted her and her little voice just to be like, and when I was a cheerleader, I was a whore. <laughs> 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 that's not what she was saying. She just says, I, that's defrauding. I can't even do it. I can't do, I can't evangelize myself. As you much haven't as she trained does. <laughs> enough.
0: Oh my gosh. Not yeah. enough blanket
1: training done on me in my youth. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't even make a joke about that. It's. <laughs> so messed up yeah um yeah the defrauding they always bring it back to her cheerleading days I gotta remind you that she was a hussy mm-hmm. even though it's, it sounds like and she may have kissed some people before Jim it sounds like uh, one thing a little off topic but I have to say it and it's in my notes down here too because it took me a minute to get there Jim Bob major Kenneth Parcell vibes
0: Oh yes, I had never uh-huh. really put
1: the two and two together. Yes. And I will say, I think it was at the beginning of the episode where they talk about how Jim Bob is shown as like a lovable lug. Uh
0: huh. Yeah. And
1: how that he's never shown to be yelling. Like he's he's really put forward as this like a beacon of like like American male excellence. And mm. you know when you hear more and more about like how he didn't pay his children at all. You know, just like the i'm sure we haven't even scraped the surface and we'll get into it next in the next episode the whole thing of him running for senate while his son is on trial for child pornography like that is that's buck wild to just be like i don't care about this stuff about my family's in the media i'm doing what i want to do like yeah jim bob is he looks squeaky clean until you start peeling back the layers and yeah. he is no kenneth Parcell. Uh
0: One thing that gets mentioned in here, I think we'll wrap up with this because we're talking about the ways that the the system and the theology and the ideology was really like carving out the space just for abuse to exist with impunity, and one of the things that uh the survivors talk about is how suffering was continually glorified. Which I know is an important topic to you.
1: Yeah, I mean, the glorification of suffering, I think, is one of the biggest problems I have with evangelicalism. And I think that it lends to so much abuse and people putting up with things that they shouldn't men and women. But I know specifically women sticking in abusive relationships and situations that they shouldn't be in. There was one quote from um, one of the survivors in this episode that like hit me like a ton of bricks. And she said something about that. She almost was jealous of friends who had been raped because she felt that God could use them more. Than mm. her and I remember I didn't have that exact same feeling when I was younger, but I remember feeling like I didn't have a testimony. I didn't ha- I didn't have some big sob story of doing horrible things or horrible things happening to me, and and people believe that the worst things happen to you. It's like the but that's better for your testimony. It's better. It's a better story for God. You got to turn that into, and it's just like maybe we just maybe we don't need that. And it's funny. I mean, I see that still in America. Like I joke about this. Like, with The Bachelor, like, the trauma dumping that happens on these dates, like, there's a formula for when you're supposed to, like, dump your trauma on the show, and it's, like, way too soon, but, like, you know you need to get your, like, hooks into the... And everything is, like, The Poor Bachelor, these, like, dummies are always, like, well, it made you the person you are, so I'm glad it happened. You know, they, like, never know what to say, Uh and I'm, like, that's not really, like... No. That's not the proper response. Like, (laughs) yes, we maybe... are strong in spite of the things that have happened to us. But this whole narrative of like, we are strong because of these horrible things and God can never give you more than you can handle. Yeah. I hate it. I have big problems with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Right. And, and like, that's where um, I know that a lot of feminist theologians and like feminist theology, like have really pushed back against um, thinking about Jesus on the cross and like glorifying that, that suffering because Um, they've just said, like, yes, systematically this has been used to oppress women for centuries, Um, to say, like, look at Jesus on the cross, like, you are identifying with Jesus in this way by suffering, and really it's just like, uh, it is just dominating and uh, oppressing women.
1: Yeah, and that theology has harmed so many people and and seeing it play out you know in this docu series is is really sobering because again it's like these are the things where we I look at the Duggars I'm like this is not this is not dissimilar from my life and and all of evangelical Christianity like this that kind of messaging is across the board that is not fringe and so Yeah, it's a bummer to watch it playing out. Um, I will say the episode does end with um, some of the survivors finding this site, uh, Recovering Grace, which was really helpful to a lot of people uh, sharing stories about abuse and ATI. And that's where people can get their power back and find their voice. And I'm so glad that this exists and that survivors are speaking out. Um, And uh, I believe the episode ends or kind of then the episode Gothard is eventually removed from leadership they still take his teachings they're taking his money all of that but like it gets to the point where the accusations against him are so credible that he is removed from power by he...
0: the militia
1: oh right <laughs> they kick him out of the building yeah
0: yeah like they like literally like trespass him and the militia that he started to alert like actually escort him off the property um which you know feels like it should f- i i you know part of me was like oh this should feel validating but it really is just um a way of them covering their own ass that's all it is they're not actually doing reparations they're not doing investigations they're just like all right like let let's cut our ties with gothard let's get him out of here and keep doing what we're doing
1: it is image management
0: Yes, exactly. Um, And I think it's worth mentioning if you haven't seen it yet and you're deciding whether to or not. For me, this one felt, I think the next, I think episode four as well, but episode three felt like there were a lot of like, there were more like visual graphic descriptions of grooming, kind of like telling stories. And so I just want to let people know that if you're like, going into it for me it felt like oh this is this isn't just talking about that it happened like this is sort of like reliving the grooming stories not necessarily things that are like uh, explicitly sexual assault, but the things leading up to it. And um, I, I think a lot of people would find it pretty triggering. So just an FYI. I, I was really glad for this episode. I think the main thing, because I watched it a couple of times, because it's so much to take in. Like, I have I've found that, like, the first time I watch it, I just feel really pretty, like, triggered. Um, or, like, the, the first time I watch it, I'm just, like, so upset. It's hard to process, like all the like content and information. Um, so then I have to go back and rewatch it, um, and kind of be like, okay, like, what do I want to say about this? That sort of thing. But the, the thing that I, I think with the parallel here was like, there are these, uh, institutions, whether it's, uh, the Gothard Institute or if it's like the Duggar family where there is sexual abuse, there's uh, child pornography, um, and it just keeps going. Like, the, like the, these things should shut it down and they don't, which just says so much about evangelical culture.
1: Yeah. And I think that this, you know, patriarchal idea of, you know, like one of the women said, like, if this is what Gothard wants, this is that is what God wants. Like, mm-hmm. a- allowing a man to speak on behalf of God this is just a bad idea, always. Like, God can speak for themselves. And yeah, I think that... We could say it till we're blue in the face, but it clearly uh, everything about this organization really lent itself to people being groomed and put in really horrible positions where they didn't even know that they were being abused. They just thought that that was their lot in life. And it makes me sad that people stuck with it for so long and people are continuing to stick with it. And I'm grateful to see these survivors talking out. And I think that that's the one thing that. I didn't think I could feel hopeful watching this, but seeing especially episode four, I think you get a little bit more into these these survivors are coming together. And I know we feel that way, too, in the podcast that we are doing. Like the reason that we are talking about this stuff is we are trying to come to grips with what happened to us and how we were raised and how messed up that was. But also we are building a community of people who can be honest about these things, work through our religious trauma. And it's just nice to know we're not alone.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, there can be so much like self-doubt that comes up, like, was it really that bad? Or like, am I making this up? Or like all those things. And so I think um, having other folks that are like, yeah, this is what it was like. And this is the psychological impact or, you know, whatever impact it is, is so important. So I'm glad, so grateful for this documentary and glad that we've been able to talk about it.
1: And I just found out, apparently, it is the, like, number one, like, streaming. It has been a raging success for Amazon. Like, more people have signed up for Prime because of this. And uh, they were saying that a lot of it is because the way that it was done is that this docuseries is helping people who were raised fundamentalist or evangelical, but also outsiders. It's a way... it behooves both to see for, hmm. uh, for outsiders people. It, it does a good job of helping people who weren't raised like that, understand. And then people who were raised like they do their research, but then you can kind of see like, oof, this is like fucked. So it's hitting a lot of chords with a lot of people. And I think it's really important and I'm grateful that it exists as, as tough. It has been, to watch like they're like doing this pie I have to watch it I was like not and I watched the episodes last night I was like I am not in the mood right now to deal with this but I'm like but I have to because we're recording I don't want to get there and I get into a little note taking and I I add my little snarky comments in my notes I'm just like what the fuck after different things uh-huh. that makes me feel better yeah <laughs> so yeah uh we're we got one more episode left mm-hmm. and it's Yeah, it's been a journey. Thank you for coming along with us and we'll see you for the last and final installment of Too Many Cults.